You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Ann Packer is the author of the novel The Dive from Clausen's Pier and the short story collection Mendocino and Other Stories. Her new novel is Songs Without Words. Thank you for joining me, Ann. Thank you. And you're just a wonderful chronicler of suburbia. So, And the way you do this is through this accumulation of detail. What led you to decide to, to paint the picture in that manner? You know, it was never a decision. It's just the way I see the world. And for me to create believable characters and to convince a reader that that what's on the page is is something real or something lifelike, I think details are required, or at least in my vision, they're required. It's it's what makes the prose. It may it's what makes the prose feel lifelike. And when you talk about your, your suburban characters and, and, and urban, they, they, they get in and out of the cities on, on, <laughs> on occasions. A little fearfully sometimes. Um, it, it, what, what interests me is just that portrayal of, of lives of quiet desperation, as uh, Pink Floyd once <laughs> When you're writing... Do you have some concept of what your plot is going to be, or do you just launch off with the beginning sentence and follow the characters in the prose? I have a sense of where I'm going. Usually I'll start with a situation, characters who are in a certain kind of dilemma or who are going to enter into a dilemma of my choosing. (laughs) And I, I kind of know what the issues are going to be and where they stand in relation to each other at the beginning and pretty much where they will be in relation to each other at the end. What I don't know is how I'm going to get there. So um, for me, the the interesting um, part of the work is getting my characters through the the crises or dilemmas or, you know, everyday um, disturbances that they need to get through in order to, to live out the conflicts that I have envisioned for them. Let's talk a little bit about about your new novel. It's called Songs Without Words. And and at the core of it is a friendship between two women, Liz and Sarah Beth. And and this is, they actually have a relationship that I'm not unfamiliar with. Uh, One of, when I was in high school, one of my friend's parents kicked him out of the house and he ended up living with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really interesting how um, teenagers know that they need a family and sometimes they have to go and find one if their own um, family isn't working. And in the novel, Sarah Beth's mother commits suicide and her father a year later decides to move away. And so she makes the choice of um, moving across the street into her best friend Liz's house and sort of becoming an extra child of, of that family for a year until they graduate and go to college. And that relationship as an extra child extends into their adulthood to a certain extent, doesn't it? It does. And in a way, what happens is that Sarah Beth begins perhaps as Liz's parents' extra child 
And then it could be said she kind of ends up as Liz's extra child. They have, you know, a, a mature adult friendship, but they're stuck may not be the right word, but they're habituated to certain roles. And Liz is kind of the caretaker and Sarah Beth is the more dependent person and the, the kind of um, the difficulties between them arise when those roles are challenged and Liz becomes the person who really, really needs help and Sarah Beth can't come through for her. One of the things that interests me in your fiction is the way you deal with trauma. We often see trauma as presented as kind of a divide. You go, you start out here or something bad happens, you end up over there. And your work, it, it it's a crack that runs through the middle and splits people into two different halves. And I, I think what's what interests me is the way before and after um, feel to people, what life is like up until that moment that some kind of trauma um, happens. And then what it feels like afterward and the ways in which the traumatic event kind of echo through life thereafter. And in some cases, and this is what I had in mind really with Sarah Beth, the trauma enters into personality and begins to influence um, really character on the most fundamental levels. When you're creating these characters, do you find yourself thinking them of them as people you might not might know but just not see every day do you, do you how do you live with these characters because they're it must be difficult you know they're always for me constructions of language that's not to say that there's well, no emotion involved for me in in writing them but it always comes down to have i put together sentences in such a way that the character for a reader will be a real person. And, and so you don't experience your own works as a reader? I don't. I can't. I'm not the reader. I'm the writer. Well, given that, tell, tell me a little bit about, so let's talk a little bit about your writing process. I, I, I understand that you, I mean, it took you a long time to write Clausen's Pier, and it five years to write this novel, yeah. you yourself must have changed a good deal in those periods of time. And, and could you talk about how that influences the way you write? It's interesting because you're exactly, you know, you're, you're exactly right. I, I start out at a point in my life thinking of characters in a certain way. Five years later, I'm at a different point, but I'm still trying to get at a character who I've already really conceptualized. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons it takes a while is that as I move forward in the writing, my conceptualization of the character may change based on changes that I've undergone and life events that I've had. Um, I remember when I was writing The Die from Clausen's Pier, you know, I was 30 when I started the book and the main character was 23. And I was 40 when I finished it, and she was still 23. And I sort of thought, well, you know, imagine the complexity I could bring to this character if I kept going till I was 50. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> enough was enough. One thing that interests me is the way that technology influences the way we write. Uh, 
Mm. And, and it's really changed. There's been a fundamental change, and I've talked to many authors about this, with the advent of computers and word processors. No longer do you have to crank out a whole draft and then attach stickies or whatever else people used to attach to it. That's, like, inconceivable now. Yeah. I, could you talk about how that – how do you write? Do you write out whole drafts and by hand and – I, I used to be a big longhand person. I mean, you know, I used to buy whiteout on a regular basis. <laughs> I worry about the whiteout industry. Um, I'm completely on the computer now. And so really, even to talk about a draft is, um, is misleading because I revise every day. All the work that I've done the previous day, I revise before I go forward. And so by the time I get to the ending the very first time, everything leading up to it has been revised over and over and over again. And then I will revise the ending many times and go back and revise um, the beginning and the middle and here and there. And then I'll think, okay, I think maybe I'm finished with this book. And, you know, one of the many little voices inside me says, you know, the hell you are. And that's the moment when I think, okay, I have a draft and I'm going to show it to some readers. But, you know, it's not a first draft by any means, um, except for maybe it's, it's the first time I've printed it out. That's what makes it a draft. One of the things that is a recurring theme in your work is suicide. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a part of your life, and there's a temptation for, for readers and, I think, for critics and to think that, there's, you know, a direct one-to-one -one mapping. This is a way of working it out, or, or this is um, a way, a cautionary tale. And I don't always think that the equation is that simple. Could you tell me uh, what it is, how does that work for you? There really is no simple equation at all. There's no one-to-one um, no -one correspondence. I mean, for me, Certainly, m the fact that my father committed suicide when I was 13 was a, you know, a central um, event of my life, a character-transforming and forming event. Um, but that's just one of the things I bring to writing. And um, I, don't, I don't know how it w would work. I, people do say this, you know, was it, was it healing for you? Um, did you feel you worked something out? I, I don't have a picture of what that would look like. It's just, um, it helps to explain some of my preoccupations. I think that that's kind of the extent of it. As a writer, you you come from a, a big writing background. Your brother's a writer, your mother's a writer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how how it felt for you to, to make that leap and, and when you did it, and, and did you feel a little bit uh, competitive? Well, you know, I was never going to be a writer. I think my brother from about age 11 or 12 was was writing poems and starting you know school newspapers and literary magazines and I was just reading and I had no intention of ever um, crossing over so to speak and it wasn't until I was in college really a senior in college um, and a friend suggested that I take a fiction writing class I thought you know no I don't want to do that and there was you know the 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 weight of my family and all the sort of um, decisiveness I'd brought to bear on the fact that I would never write, influencing me away from this class. And yet, I took it, and within three weeks, I'd had something like a conversion experience. It was just 
powerfully satisfying for me to sit down and write dialogue or write a scene. Um, and I've kind of never really looked back. One thing that, that I think you write really well about is being a parent and, and the, also on the other side you write well about being a child. You understand both sides of the equation. And one of the things you capture, you know, a writer I think you have a lot in common with that you might not think you have a lot of com in common with is Stephen King. <laughs> that is the first time I've heard that. I'm interested to hear your uh, your reasons. Well, for me, one of the things I really like about Stephen King is like you, he really focuses on the middle class. His characters mm -hmm. are, for the most part, really ordinary Joes. Mm -hmm. And now the kind of traumas he submits them to are not the same kind of ordinary traumas. But your novels, in a sense, really are horror stories. They're, they're, what happens to him is worse than what happens in a Stephen King novel. Really, I mean, I'd rather because be... Because it's real. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so I, I'm wondering if you talk about the, the kind of, I guess, the, the everyday horrors that you write about, especially as regards to parenting. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, I'm a parent. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, so I've been doing it for a while. And I live among parents in the suburbs, as we've talked about. And I, I'm just struck by the amount of anxiety involved in parenting and how worried we all are about how our kids are doing and how they're going to do. I, I think because of my sense that life and well-being are very precarious, um, I bring maybe even a little more anxiety to, uh, to this particular part of my life. Um, but it fascinates me, you know, what is the relationship between what we fear and the realization of those fears or different fears? And how do we sort of sit with having imagined bad things when bad things actually do happen? I'm really interested in, in how we um, look at the way our own minds operate in relation to um, what goes on in the external world. Well, that's one of the things you do so well is to, to offer a, a window into our own self-reflection. -re and it, it's not a happy window. But, <laughs> and it, 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 but it's not – you have a very even-handed approach. It's kind of unsympathetic, but it's not unfriendly. How – as a writer, do you have to go? Do you ever find yourself like leaning too far in one direction, liking a character too much, or enjoying wanting to the language that creates a character to go in a certain direction? You have to kind of ratchet back to recover your own even-handedness. Not so much. I think that you know it's it's kind of a constant uh, concern of mine to be very fair to all the characters and not lean on them or push them in the direction of satire or caricature, which I think certain uh, representations of um, the mental habits of characters can, can, really, can really go in. It's not so much that it's a great effort as that it is a great interest of mine to be very careful and, as you say, even-handed. Even the kind of books you write uh, you tend to be in a, looked at a, as women's novels. I mean, your, your first book was uh, adapted by Lifetime, which is a women, women's network. Absolutely. And, and I'm 
wondering how you feel about this and, and because this is where where art meets the marketing department and not always a happy union for either uh, participant it's such a it's such a a complicated and ultimately thorny subject um, there's the idea that you can divide fiction into women's and not women's or literary versus commercial which is to me kind of a meaningless dichotomy. I'm not sure why those are are opposites, but that seems to be the way we talk about them. Um, and even the word popular has this sort of um, this sort of deadly shadow that it casts on on um, work that attempts to be, for want of a better word, um, artful. So I I think about it. I worry about it a little bit. I don't want to be pigeonholed. Um, but ultimately, I try not to get caught up in, um, in that aspect of thinking about my writing because it's not really what matters to me. What matters is the way individual readers respond to the book. And, you know, I want something to happen in someone else's mind, um, one person after another. And who those readers are, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. As a writer, you've been quite successful, amazingly so. Before this, before this success, you were able to live a fairly straightforward middle-class life. And in a sense, this success might be seen as a trauma for you <laughs> because it takes you out of the element in which you wish to write. Has that been the case? It has not, actually. Um, coincidentally, I uh, was divorced at around the time that my first novel became such a, such a success. And so um, the, uh, to be crass, money I made from that book was not sort of, you know, time to buy, buy a, a villa in Italy money. It was time to pay the mortgage money and buy the kids shoes and um, you know maybe pay for summer camp so I'm still very much <laughs> in the milieu from which I came you you talked about the effect of the your novels on the minds of your readers and, and they do have that effect and I, and I would think a, a number of readers who who come to your novels look at them whether or not you look at them as healing mechanisms they experience them in that manner and I'm wondering how you feel about that. I feel great about that. What could be more satisfying? I, um, if if it helps someone, if a book of mine helps someone um, think in a more comfortable and healthy way about life, um, you know, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I don't set out to do that, but if that happens, uh, I couldn't be more delighted. Tell me what you're working on now. The next book is going to be a novella and stories, and um, the novella is about a 13-year-old boy um, in suburban <laughs> San Francisco Bay Area, and what happens to him in his life when a new family moves into the neighborhood, and it consists of a very charismatic father and a very charismatic 13-year-old girl. So that'll be um, the sort of central piece in this book and then there will be several short stories and I think you know I'm looking at probably a couple years before that one will be finished 
a couple of years just on the novella or on no. the short stories? <laughs> on the whole book. <laughs> on the whole book. The novella is just about finished, and, and a, a few of the stories are too, but I know better than to think I can whip off three more stories um, in a few months. That's just not how it goes. Will, will the stories be published in magazines or any of them? Uh, that would be good. <laughs> That's what one hopes for. You never know. We've been speaking with Anne Packer. Her new novel is Songs Without Words. Thank you for speaking with me, Anne. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.